Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. This is a rainy 9 a.m. crowd, so I'm hoping this one's better. Um, Not like you're better, but just a little more energy in the room. Um, Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Make Room. And it's all about the spiritual journey for ordinary people. I'm really excited about this series. One of the questions we get the most is, how do I grow in my faith? And what does that look like? And specifically, what does it look like for just an ordinary person living everyday life? So we're gonna look at four habits all the way up to Easter, surprisingly enough, like it's coming, Easter's the end of March. Um, So for these next five weeks, this is such a key series and it might be a catalytic uh, series for some of you, whether you wanna grow in your faith, which is a big part of this series, but also I think even if you've um, let go of faith, lost faith, you're losing faith, this series might give you some context as to why. So don't miss being here next week and the next five weeks, make room. It's a great time to invite. I said this out of the first service, Josh wasn't baptizing um, this last service, but Josh Fiedler, I was joking with him. He's somebody who attends our church. Some of you know him. I was like, you show up at every baptism, man. And he's not on staff here. So I'm like, why do you keep baptizing people? And the reason is because the guy invites so many individuals who come, lives are changed, end up going public with their faith. So you will see him constantly um, at baptisms. No, he does not work here, but he just invites so many people. So I just want to encourage you because he is a perfect example. You have no idea what God's going to do with an invite. So next week's a great opportunity. So with that, we are in the final part of this series called Reassembly. And here's what we've talked about is reassembling or repairing a broken relationship is extremely hard. I mean, it's one of the hardest things you're gonna do in life. And this isn't a series for like romantic relationship. This is a series for everything. This is a series for your brother that you, you know, are on the outs with since three Christmases ago, the crazy person in the HOA, PTA, three doors down, four cubicles down. I mean, whoever this is, this series applies. So this is broad range relationships. And what we said is for a lot of us in those relationships that actually matter, we have the desire or the want to to make it right, or at least we know we should have the ought to want to. But what makes it hard, man, is we just don't know how to. And I mean that. Like you think, okay, yeah, we know how to repair a broken relationship, and we don't. And oftentimes we reach for the wrong mechanisms and we actually make relationships worse. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's not intuitive. And trying to repair any broken relationship requires humility. And this is just you know, a human thing. We resist humility. We're not great at humility and we're specifically not great at humility. If we're in a conflict and we wanna be right and we're going back and forth, it's hard to like kind of gear it down. And so that's part of the reason. The other part is that literally repairing relationships is something that really has to be learned. In fact, I think one of the greatest ways to understand how you function in relationship and repairing broken relationships is to see it modeled. And you know this already, like a lot of areas of life, it's, it's better to catch something than to be taught something. And I think repairing relationships is one of the big ones. And so I would just say this as far as a side note. If you're a grandparent, a parent, you're raising somebody. Like one of the greatest gifts that you could give is to teach them the art 
of learning how to repair a relationship when it's fractured. And this directly benefits you because if you're parenting any like little human being, eventually along the way, you're gonna have your own tension and fracture in that relationship that's gonna, be need, that's gonna need to be repaired. And so if you don't do this, it impacts your relationship with them. And so you, this is something you should put at the top of the list. Now, you could ask the question, well, is that self-serving? I'm just gonna teach them how to repair you know, broken relationships so they have a better relationship with me. No, because their relationship with you will be a catalyst for all of their future relationships. Like one of the greatest gifts that you could be given is to have somebody in your life that modeled how to do this because it has a multi-generational investment. And I, I got this from a mentor years ago, and this is not a parenting talk, and I don't give those because I'm still in the thick of it. So in 10 years from now, I might be like, we did everything wrong. So I don't know. Um, but this is one thing that you take it or leave it, but we were taught by a mentor to make this personal, meaning as we're teaching our kids this, we wanted them to use personal pronouns. Because we'll ask our kids after, like I have three boys, oldest girl, the three boys beat up on each other all the time. So you get done with one of those and somebody slaps somebody or there's a right hook somewhere and immediately you're like, you need to apologize to your brother. And what do they do? They're like, sorry. And then they walk away. They're like, well, that was heartfelt. So we taught them personal pronouns, meaning, and this is, this is gonna sound so easy, but it is so difficult to do. Okay, you've got to tell your brother or sister, whoever it is, I'm sorry. Not sorry and walk away or stomp away. I'm sorry. And then I want you to be really clear about what you're sorry about, and I want you to connect the dots. And what that is for them is kind of their first lesson in humility, which by the way can be practiced, is humility and then owning their part of the blame. It's why one of the things we do with our kids is we draw a relational consequence to every decision they make. Because I think the whole, you know, like they got in a fight and so like, well, you go to your room for two months. Well, that doesn't really do anything. Like it's completely disconnected. So what they have to do is we're teaching them that every bad decision they make, the reason it's a big deal is not just because it's, we made up rules. It's because everything you do either hurts you or hurts somebody else. That's why it's a big deal. And so you have got to learn how to repair relationships. So my kids tore up a room um, in one of our like kids areas while I was at the office one week. And so at the end of that, like generally it's, oh, you get grounded for whatever. Instead, and this was the worst consequence in the world for our kids, you have to go and apologize to that staff member who oversees that because you left it a wreck and you're irresponsible. And then you've got to pay out of your own money to bring them something. And that's the consequence. I'm not giving you any other consequence, but you have to go make the relationship right. My kids are like, can you just ground us for six months? Like, it's the worst thing in the world. But it is so important that this is taught and that it is modeled because it will be a catalyst for every other arena of their life, man. Parenting, marriage, other relationships, work but it is not intuitive. And so we'll come back to that. We are in part three, as I said, of reassembly, a beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. And here, if you haven't been here, here's the goal of the series, and it's not what you think. The goal of the series is not to reconcile a relationship. The goal of the series is to have no regrets. And the reason I say that is because the, the reconciliation of a relationship is out of your control. You have no ability to change what somebody else does. You can pray for it, you can work toward it, but ultimately you are not responsible for it. You can only do what you can do, which means the goal has to be to just no regrets. And we said this before, don't ever set a goal for another adult. Set that for yourself. Some of you did that at the beginning of the year. It's not going great. But set a goal for yourself. Don't set it for another adult because a goal is an agenda and relationships are undermined because of agendas. So you work, you pray toward it, but you can't control it. 
It's a process, it's a posture, it's being able to walk away from a relationship that matters and go, I did everything that I could. And where it's safe, I left the door open. And so here's what Paul said, here's how he summarized it. We gave you a sticker with this last week just to try to ingrain it in your mind. Romans 12, 18, if it is what? Possible, meaning it's not always possible and you don't hold all the cards. If it's possible, as far as it, what? Depends on you, meaning what is in your control, you've got to control. You've got to do everything that depends on you, but you can't do everything that depends on them. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody or live at peace with everyone. Do what you are in control of, which is removing every obstacle to that relationship having a chance, if there's still a chance of that relationship surviving or being healed or being repaired. Basically, we said this, reassembly begins with us, regardless of who initiated the mess, regardless of who started it, which is so difficult. And there's four decisions. The two we've looked at last two weeks, and then two more I'm gonna give you today as we land the plane. The first decision is this. I will get back to, I will not get back at. Can you guys just say that with me real quick? I will get back to, not get back at. Because, and if you're not a Jesus follower, say it every week, you don't have to do any of this. If you're a Jesus follower, we are to do unto others what our heavenly father has done to us. John said it so succinctly, and this verse never gets enough airplay. We always, John three sixteen, God so loved the world. This is the next verse that John writes after this when he says, for God did not send his son Jesus into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save, to rescue, to repair the world through him. Like, can you just, that verse, can you just imagine if every Jesus follower just did that? Can you imagine if every Christian, if the church globally just did that? Can you imagine how the world would change if that was our posture, if that's how we looked at things, that we followed the example of Jesus, which is I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I didn't come to put people at odds or to create sections of individuals or to divide anything off. I came to move in the direction of other people, not to get them back, but to get back in relationship with them in spite of their behavior. And then Jesus commands us, okay, if, if I did that for you and you wanna follow me, this is what it looks like. This is what my example is. And then Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians five eighteen: All this is from God who did what? who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and this is such a big deal, and gave us, Jesus followers, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, gave us the assignment, or literal in some of your translations, ministry of reconciliation, meaning you are to do for other people exactly what Jesus has done for you because verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And basically, if I'm ever gonna have the hope of reconciliation, if there's ever a shot that this thing is gonna be repaired at some point along the way, and this is the gospel or what's referred to as the good news, I've gotta move in your direction and quit counting your sins against you. Because this is exactly what my heavenly father has done for me. He removed the major obstacle to me having a relationship with him in a lot of cases before I ever even knew it was an obstacle, which was my sin and my dysfunction. In fact, Paul said it this way, that while you were still a sinner, while you were in the midst of your dysfunction and hadn't committed to do anything differently, God through Christ died for you. 
That's the example. And then he ends this way in the section, and he is committed to who? Let's try that one more time. He's committed to who? The message. This unbelievable message of what has been done for us, the message of reconciliation through Jesus. We've been reconciled to God. This is what it means to follow Jesus. How in the world can we be ambassadors or carriers or have the ministry of reconciliation and not be willing to reconcile with the other people we're in relationship with? First decision, I will get back to not get back at. Second decision we looked at last week, I will own my slice of the blame, meaning reassembly always begins in the mirror. That if I'm ever gonna be able to repair this relationship, it's possible I have a two by four hanging out of my eye and I never saw it before. And so I need to move in the direction of looking at me first because it's possible that I don't have as much clarity as I think. And until I do that, I will not have clarity to move in your direction to be able to possibly repair this relationship. So I'm gonna decision to own my slice of the blame, which is so difficult to do. And now as we end the, land the plan on this series, I wanna give you decision three and four, which has been implied or kind of referred to throughout this series. And the third decision is this. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. Say that with me just real quick. I will make the first move Now, I said it throughout the series. If you're in the midst of this right now, this is so easy to talk about if it's kind of, you know, ethereal or, you know, it's in theory. If I ever get into this situation or, yeah, this is how I need to handle it. If you're in the midst of it right now and you're in conflict, there is so much tension and so much emotion. So to even talk about that with what they've done, with the narrative that you rehearse in your mind is so difficult. Like, I'm not going to make the first move. Are you kidding me? You know their story? And again, I've said, if I sat down with you and heard your story and the layers of complexity, I might be like, well, maybe, maybe you get a pass. I don't know. But Jesus is like, no, you, you've got to move in their direction. And we've said this throughout the series that every time you rehearse the narrative of what happened, you always end up the hero, right? Like you're always the person that's the healthiest relationally. You're always the person with the most amount of clarity. You're always the most mature individual. And maybe that's true. But here's what is also true, if that's true. And that is the most mature, healthiest person relationally in the relationship should move first to take responsibility for trying to heal the relationship. But then there's another reason. Besides just that, like if you're really the, the mature, healthy person, which you always are in your own narratives, then you need to move first. But the other reason is what Jesus unpacks in one of his most inconvenient commands. And we don't really get like the shock value of this and what a big deal is, but to first century Judeans, the words of Jesus that I'm about to quote are so unbelievably shocking and we miss the implications. And here's what Jesus says surrounding this whole subject and this decision. He says this in Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and right there in 2024, like you already lost me. Gift, altar, I don't know what you're talking about. But here's what Jesus is talking about. This was so inconvenient and the context is what really makes this powerful. They would go sometimes, I mean, hundreds of miles, but they would go hours and hours and hours on these dangerous, very inconvenient, difficult trips into Jerusalem, into the temple to offer these sacrifices. I mean, they had to get off work, probably no PTO at that time. Um, they had to drag, I mean, they had to dra think about it, drag their kids into the city, stand in line for hours. Like I lose it going to Target with my four kids. They had to take these kids hours across the desert, get in line, no fast pass, no call ahead, hours 
in line with your kids. Oh, and by the way, you have probably your goat on a leash because that's what you're going to sacrifice in a few minutes. And you got to try to keep all of that together for hours while you're in line. And yes, you're devoted to God and it's the reason you're there. But come on, just real life, that has got to be a nightmare. I mean, you can barely get to church when it's drizzling outside. Imagine like dragging your kids and a goat several hundred miles and then you just have to stand in line. This is their life. And so Jesus is setting this up. If you go to bring a gift to the altar, and by the way, your, your gift is alive. And Jesus is giving a very specific instruction because he's not talking about a sin offering. He's talking about if you go to the temple and you take this long journey and you've got your, your kids in tow and the whole thing is, I mean, it's stressful and it's long and you're there to give a gratitude gift for what God's done or answered prayer. Basically, it was a voluntary gift expressing what God had done for them. And it was this whole desire of we wanna draw near to God. It was a big deal. I mean, there's a reason that they did this. There's a reason they inconvenienced themselves because this was their means to worship God, to show their gratitude for God and try with everything in them. And some of you get this. I just, I wanna know God. I wanna draw near to God. I wanna have this experience with God. And so I'm willing to go through all of this to experience that and to get that. And so Jesus says, so if, if you're there and you're offering your gift at the altar because you, you wanna draw near to God, but then you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Pause. And Jesus is intentionally ambiguous. He doesn't say who's at fault. He just says, you're in line. You're trying to quiet your kids. You have your goat on a leash. It's hours in line. And you remember that there is some unresolved conflict with somebody else and it's not good. And they would think, like we would think, okay, that's fine. I'll get that right after I leave here. I mean, I'm in line, and if I get out of line, I'm gonna lose my place. So as soon as I get, gotcha, Jesus, as soon as I get home, we'll have a conversation. We'll talk about it. We'll try to make that thing right. You're right. Maybe I, there's something you know, I need to own in terms of my blame. So as soon as I'm done here, gotcha, we'll go back, bring the kids, and I'll try to get that right with them, which is always what vertical compartmentalized religion says. And I've talked to you about this for years if you've been around here, but I'm gonna do it again. The vertical internalized religion that says it's just, it's just me, it's God, and God, you know, I think I'm good, and you've got whatever your checklist is based on denomination, upbringing, area of the country, you know, generation you grew up in, and it's got some Bible reading in there, and you attend something, and you cry every once in a while, and you listen to some songs, and you get in whatever, and you've been faithful, and you can create this whole vertical construct with God where I can do my religious practices where I'm trying to draw near to God, and all the while, I can compartmentalize and ignore other people to my right and left. This is what explains what baffles some of you about certain versions of Christianity where people can actually name the name of Jesus, quote verses to you, treat people like crap and still feel like they're okay with God because they have settled for vertical compartmentalized religion where I'll just kind of do everything internally and I love God, but I don't necessarily love you. But Jesus came to introduce something brand new that he's starting to tease out at the altar. No more vertical religion, God. Now it's horizontal. If you want to please and love God, you have to love other people around you to the point of doing everything you can to try to reconcile with them if there is repair that's needed in that relationship. And so, therefore, if you offer your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, 
This means nothing. This is so shocking to them. Leave your gift in front of the altar. And they're like, huh? What? What do you mean leave my gift? We spent hours getting here. By the way, my gift, this isn't a packaged gift. My gift is alive. If I leave it here, it will leave. I can't leave my gift and then just go. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus, I'm sure you've been paying attention. In your scenario, we've been here for hours. So what do you mean leave your gift in front of the altar? This is such a big deal because this is the epicenter of a, I'm in line to draw near to God. Why would I leave that line? I mean, that's the, that's the line everybody should be in. He's like, leave the line, get out of line. Leave your goat, give it to somebody else. Leave your gift in front of the altar and first, as in most important, as in, this is so shocking to him, as in more important than what you came here to do. First, go and be what? Go and be reconciled to them. And they probably thought, okay, Jesus, this is where it gets confusing. So you want me to put other people in front of God? You want, to, you want me to prioritize other people in front of like God of the universe? You want me to put them first and God you second? And Jesus would say, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is that this is how you put God first, is that you reconcile with other people that God loves. You put invisible God first by reconciling with your visible brother, neighbor, individual in your house, coworker, wherever the relational dysfunction exists. This is how you draw near to in, invisible God is that you move to reconcile and love and repair as far as you can the visible people around you. And no more religion that allows you internal, yeah, we're good, God, did I meet all the checklists? If you want to honor and love God, you will only honor and love God so far as you are willing to love, honor, and reconcile in your relationships around you. Leave your gift in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. And then, and only then, come and offer your gift. To which we would say, this is what a lot of us grew up with, can I just like forgive them in my mind? <laughs> and like believe stuff? Because that's generally what we do, right? Like I, I, I forgave them. Yeah, God, I'll, I'll let them off the hook. And like, I believe, and here's the list of all the things that I believe. Like, isn't that enough? And Jesus would say, no, it's not enough. Like, this is what everybody is settled for in terms of Christianity that lowers the bar to where it's all this internal thing that honestly is so much easier to do. And so Jesus would say, if you just want to believe stuff and pat yourself on the back, knock yourself out. That's what everybody in our culture does around Christianity. I mean, we get so hyped around what people believe. It does not matter what you believe if it does not lead to how you treat other people. What you believe is a means to an end to love the people that God loves. I mean, we just need to start looking at people who've got degrees in theology and master's level education and dispensationalism and covenant theology and all of the other stuff that nobody cares about and just go, if your theology is not leading you to love other people, the fruit of your theology is rotten and you maybe should revisit what you believe. That's a little harsher than the first service, but... Jesus' point is, and if you want to follow me, this is what you're following me into. Come on, isn't it true that internalized religion 
always lets you off the hook. It always lets you off the hook. I had somebody um, tell me like two weeks ago during this series, and he actually says it's true of every series. He's like, I love the church. We've been here for a couple months. Um, I would love coming every week, but like every, uh, not every, almost, yeah, almost every week, he's like, I walk away and I love it, but it feels like it stings a little bit. Because following Jesus on the front end stings a little bit when he's inviting us out of the, like, just stop with the, you believe and you forgave and you prayed a prayer to God and it's not impacting what you're doing with people around you because Jesus, nor his brother James, wouldn't even recognize that form of religion because Jesus invited us into a better way of living that as we live it out actually makes the world a better place. This is the thing that I'm trying to lead you to, which is one of the ways that helps you interpret scripture because Jesus was so clear about where our theology should lead us. If our theology is leading us to a place where the church or Christianity in a neighborhood is not making that neighborhood or people better, I think you have to rethink your theology. He's going, listen, I want you to follow me. And the essence of faith is forgiveness as a step toward reconciliation because you have been called to reconcile as a follower of Jesus if you are one just like your father in heaven. Have you ever thought about this? Do you know every time you pray about yourself, your kids, hope they you know, get a good grade on that test, hope they comes through, hope it doesn't rain, God bless me, God give me some bigger request of God heal, God take us through this dark season. But every time you pray for you, a neighbor, a friend, I bet you never thought about this. Every time you pray, at some level, you are celebrating and you are leveraging the fact that God did not stop at forgiveness. Every time you pray, you are celebrating the fact that God came through Jesus to be reconciled to you in order to have a relationship with you. And every time, if you're that individual, where you have some sort of confidence that God hears your prayers, the reason that you have confidence that God hears your prayers is because you have a heavenly father that moved in your direction, not to get you back, but to get back in relationship with you. And he didn't just forgive you. He moved all the way to reconciling and repairing relationship with you. And in the moment you realize that, you recognize in those relationships where it's safe, you lose the right to close the door on anybody. And that brings us to the fourth and final decision that we've referenced and implied throughout the series, and it's this. The fourth and final decision is I'll keep the door open, and I'll keep the welcome mat out. You guys just say that with me real quick. I'll keep the door open and the welcome mat out. Let's just do that one more time. I'll keep the door open and the welcome mat out. Now, I get it because, again, if you're thinking of a scenario that you're walking through right now, you have all of the what ifs and can I just share my story with you and you have no idea and it's different and I'm different and I get all of that. But if you're walking through it, it is difficult to even say those words because you're replaying everything they did and said and how the whole thing went down. To keep the door open and the welcome mat out is a extreme decision to make. And here's what I would say, just because I, I, we are so good at letting ourselves off the hook with this stuff. So I just want to say this. I never recommend reconciling with anybody who's unsafe, either physically or emotionally. And obviously, and I deal with in this world, there are those circumstances. In fact, there is a thread of theology within the church, complementarian theology that I think at its worst can actually create environments like this, where people are sticking in relationships that are unsafe, and they think that they're somehow doing God a service, and I don't think that's taught in the New Testament at all. So that's another message. But I would never recommend that for anybody. So with that 
kind of caveat being mentioned where it's not physically or emotionally unsafe. Here's why this is a big deal. Because keeping the welcome mat out and the door open for some of us in some relationships is almost a daily decision. My wife for a number of years has walked through a relationship that it was a core relationship where you don't wanna let it go unless you absolutely have to. And there are moments where you know, you would deal with things, and, but it's not contained to like this season of life. Have you ever been in those relational conflicts where the thing happened and then the thing happens again and then the thing happens again and you deal with it and then the thing happens again? And I know I'm supposed to be the pastor and I should be encouraging her, but there's been moments where I'm like, I think you need to be done. I think you need to move on. I think Jesus is gonna be cool with it. I think you've done everything that you can do and now you need to pull the welcome mat up and you need to shut the door and deadbolt it. And yet she relentlessly would just go after of, I'm not gonna give up until I absolutely, I'm gonna do everything that I can. It just kept the door open, the welcome mat out. And that thing has still not been perfectly and beautifully resolved. But it's, I'm gonna do everything that I can. I'm gonna continue to move in their direction as much as I can because it is so easy when something has happened multiple times where we just kind of fold our arms and go, I tried and I don't care anymore. And I said this last week, but anytime you say, I don't care about a core relationship, it's code for, I care a lot, but I can't do anything about it. And we end up in this situation where our arms are crossed, I don't care, I tried, but here's what you gotta remember when you do that. The goal in any relationship is not reconciliation. You can't control that. The goal is no regrets. The goal is that you walk away with no regrets. And I'm telling you, following Jesus into this, it will reduce your level of regrets and it will lead you to a place where you keep yourself healthy, you keep yourself free of bitterness. And this decision, this is such a big deal, will help you identify and keep the hurt connected to its original source so that you don't leave this unsettled and then you start dragging all of that emotion of I don't care, but you actually do care, but you don't, can't do anything about it. So now you take all of the unresolved emotion, all of the blame that hasn't been handled, all of the bitterness, and then you pick up that duffel bag and you carry it into every other relationship. And sometimes you do it long enough, you don't remember the original source of the hurt. This is what allows you to go forward to go, I'm not gonna live with regrets. I'm not gonna carry blame that I have, uh, that's unresolved. I'm not going to tote around bitterness from one relationship to the other. I'm going to remain healthy and I'm not going to allow this relationship to sabotage all of the other relationships of my life. You owe it to yourself to do exactly what Paul said, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with all individuals, with everybody, so that you can walk away knowing you've done everything that you can and there's no regrets and you're not going to self-sabotage other relationships in the future. And some of you know what I'm talking about and don't make eye contact or elbow or anything like that. But if you're married, I'll just ask you this question. For some of you, is your mom or dad still showing up in your current marriage? Is your mom or dad still haunting your relationship? Because somewhere along the way that you got hurt and you legitimately got hurt, I'm not, I'm not de-emphasizing any of that, but you got hurt and you decided you don't care and somewhere along the way after you decided you don't care, you pulled the welcome mat in and you closed the door and you became a carrier. And that energy and that bitterness 
And that unresolved, because I didn't quite go all the way to the finish line, has been drug into every other relationship. Because when core relationship breaks, something breaks inside of you. And we tend to reach for really bad relational management mechanisms, and it only makes it worse. So here's what Jesus invites us into through the, the words of Paul. This is a decision that can be made. Will you decide, I'm gonna have no regrets? I can't control everything they do. I can't heal this relationship. I can't change their heart. I can't lead them to be less toxic. I can't do any of those things. The only thing that I am in control, what depends on me, is I wanna walk away with no regrets. And here's the thing, and I mean, most of you know this. At a big level, the quality of your life is gonna equal the quality of your relationships. You talk to any individual taking their last breath, which I've had the privilege of doing that, multiple times. That is the thing that matters at the end of their life. The quality of their life was the quality of their relationship. And even in the relationships where they may never be able to be healed, knowing that you did everything that you could and walking away with no regrets keeps you free. And so it is a decision. Hey, by the power of the Spirit of God, I'm gonna decide to have no regrets. And there's four decisions. I'm gonna get back to, not get back at. I'm gonna own my slice of the blame. I'm gonna make the first move regardless of who moved away first. And I'm gonna keep the door open where it's safe and the welcome out out. And I get it. Like I have this personality where like if something goes down, I wanna shut the door and I wanna move on and be done with it forever. And it's easier for me to do that than it should be. And every time, you're tempted to close the door. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just wanna encourage you and remind you of this. The invitation for you is to remember what your heavenly father did for you and doing that for somebody else in your life. And the essence of what God did for you was knowing everything that you did, did not count your sins against you. And by his grace, I'm gonna do that for them. And by his grace, where I can, I'm gonna keep the door open. I'm gonna keep the welcome mat out. I'm gonna keep it cracked. And if nothing else, I'm gonna walk away with no regrets. And I'm not going to lug any of their baggage into another relationship. And come on, you have no idea what God's gonna do. You have no idea what hangs that. You think it's over. You think there's no way they're ever gonna respond. And yet I've watched over and over again where somebody's courageous step of humility to go first begins to be the catalyst for everything changing. You have no idea what God is gonna use you to do in the heart of another person. I met a couple last week for the first time after one of the services. Had been married for 35 years, got divorced, bunch of issues, had been divorced for five years. And over the last couple of weeks, literally last couple of weeks, God's begun to work in their heart. They were living in, in separate places and he decided I, I need to do something. I need to make a move. I'm gonna find a church, found a church within the last weeks here. God began to do something in her heart. And so they, they started coming together and having these conversations. They were led to the series. And in part, I mean, this is crazy, but this is, this is what God does. They made the declaration last week of we're gonna do everything that we can to repair and reconcile this relationship with the plan to get remarried again because somebody took a first step and it doesn't always end that way. And there's not a bow on every story, but my point is just this. You have no idea what God 
wants to do and can do in you and through you when you decide, I'm going to try to do for them exactly what my heavenly father has done for me. And I'm gonna walk away if there is a time where I walk away with no regrets, not lugging any of their baggage with me. And then I just wanna say this last thing. To those of you who've tracked with this series and you're like, well, I'm not really a Jesus follower, I'm not a religious person, or I used to be and I walked away. Can I just, I just wanna invite you into this invitation as I close because I, I think this is a big deal and we often don't make the connection. But here's why I wanna end here specifically to you, online, digitally, or in the house. Whether you thought about this or not, a lot, a lot oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, a broken relationship where God didn't show up the way you thought, God didn't answer your prayer, God didn't bring them home, God didn't resolve the conflict. Oftentimes, a broken relationship becomes a catalyst for broken faith. And if you were to follow the trail back of your fledgling faith or your lost faith, or the fact that you've walked away and you kind of believe that you have questions, for some of you, it was a broken relationship where God didn't come through that led to broken faith. And Jesus is inviting you back. And as much as I want you to get reconnected with a brother or a neighbor or a coworker or an adult kid, and my prayer would be that somehow those relationships would be reconciled. And more than anything else, I want you to be reconciled in relationship with your heavenly father. Here's how Paul said it, last verse in 2 Corinthians 5.20. I love his language. We implore you. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Who, I don't know if you thought about it, removed every obstacle to you having a relationship with him other than your decision to say yes. He did it all. He took the entire blame pie that we looked at last week and he owned all of the blame, 100% of it when he went to the cross. I know you did it, but I'm gonna take it on me anyway. Live the perfect life we could. Took our blame on the cross and then I believe historically, and this is the epicenter of Christianity, walked out of a grave alive. And now he says, I've literally done everything on your behalf for you to be able to have a relationship with me. You can't do it, you can't earn it, you can't make up for all of the crap that's happened in the rear view mirror, but what you can do is say yes to me and move in my direction because I've already moved in your direction and I didn't move in your direction to get you back. If God wanted to get you back, he would have already taken care of that. God moved in our direction because he wanted to win us back. He wanted to reconcile relationship. And come on, if the church would just begin to operate that way, if we would just remember the words of Jesus, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why are you condemning it? I came into the world to save it, to rescue it, to give it hope. And that applies in the relationships in your life. I want there to be the hope, the possibility of reconciliation and restoration, but it all starts with you. You have a heavenly father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you because he's for you. And he loves you in spite of your behavior. And he's inviting you into relationship. And so wherever you are, if you ever decide, I'm gonna take that step, we're gonna be here for you because here's what would surprise some of you is there's a bunch of us who claim to be followers of Jesus and we have a ton of reconciled to God stories. It all starts there for everybody. And so my hope and my prayer, my invitation for you as we, we close this series, there's no other way I could end it. I just wanna invite you to receive the invitation to be reconciled to your heavenly father, to drop all of your resistance 
and stop hiding behind your narratives of what she didn't do and what he did. And to quote Paul, I implore you, be reconciled to God. He's removed every obstacle other than your decision to place your faith and trust in him and to say yes. And I'm just gonna tell you, that decision will be the catalyst, the keystone habit for every other relationship in your life because God so loved the world that he gave, he moved in your direction and he didn't move in your direction to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And now he's inviting you into that invitation. And wherever you are, if you would just bow your heads, close your eyes, just out of respect for other people in the room, if you're online, I wanna invite you into this, wherever space and place you're at. And the scripture does not give any formula. It just talks about the fact that reconciled relationship with God just happens because of a transfer of trust. I'm not trusting me any longer, my ability to earn my way to God, to be good enough for God. I'm I'm giving all that up altogether, but recognizing that God has done it for me. And you can pray a prayer that's something like this. And I say this all the time, the prayer doesn't save you. There's no magic words, but it's simply helping you anchor in your own heart and mind. This is the moment that I'm gonna receive the invitation to be reconciled to God through Jesus. And so wherever you are online or in the house, it goes something like this. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you lived a perfect life that I couldn't. And then you took all of my blame on the cross. And then I believe that you rose from the dead. And right now, I'm trusting you to save me, to reconcile me to make me a son and a daughter just as you promised. And the scripture says, the moment you make that transfer of trust, nothing will ever separate you from that relationship or decision again, because it's not based on you or your behavior. It's based on what God has done for you. And so with nobody looking around, if this is your moment where you've made that decision, I'm following Jesus, I'm being reconciled to my savior for the first time. Would you just lift up your hand? like those who are at the 9 a.m. today to just acknowledge that sometimes a physical acknowledgement does something to sear it in your own heart and mind. So wherever you are, don't be looking around. You just lift up your hand and go, this is the moment I'm placing my faith in Jesus. I'm being reconciled to God through Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Just leave it up for just a second. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this moment redeem, to save, to rescue, to reconcile. We give you all of the glory for it. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.